Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode. Today I'm joined by Jesse, a fellow horror reviewer and curator of some of my favorite, most gorgeous color coordinated screenshots over on Instagram at soft death with an X in the middle. Uh, Jesse, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm also a huge fan. Um, you're one of my favorite pages on the platform. Oh, thank you. Very uh, <laughs> thankful to be here as my first podcast experience um oh that's awesome it's very exciting oh, and when you blessed. said uh silent hill of course i couldn't say no so um our podcast today is going to be a little different so jesse you and me didn't uh talk about an ffo like i have with other guests because we knew that we right. had to talk about silent hill too right right <laughs> uh, i know we both usually review movies and uh tv shows like you do twin peaks tuesdays mm -hmm. um yeah and this is one of the games that really to me has a cinematic element to it uh it's fallen into my love of horror along with all of these movies and shows Mm -hmm. um I don't normally play a lot of video games either so it is kind of an anomaly for the both of us but I'm yeah, super absolutely. excited to get into that today I think you're you're completely right it is it's a cinematic experience um I recently just to prepare for because I unfortunately I don't have a PlayStation 2 right now so I haven't been able to right. actually play it in um a couple of years now but it is so ingrained into my memory and I recently downloaded like uh, all the, the cutscenes, and it is like watching a very dark, very miserable horror movie, which of course is a genre that I love. I love miserable Absolutely. dark things. Yes. <laughs> the, the worse it is for the participants, um, the better it is for me as an audience member. Absolutely. Just the more drab, the more macabre. I'm very into that as well. I love the super disturbing, super introspective, you know, storylines that make you think after the movie is over. You know, when you put all those cutscenes together, it's like a, I mean, I think the game overall is what, f over four hours long. So that's <laughs> just a whole experience in itself. It leaves kind of that imprint on your soul, I feel like, especially the first time going through that story and if it's your first time experiencing the franchise in general, it's like so much at once, like the town itself and then this incredible storyline on top of that. I love what you said about um, it leaving an imprint on your soul because that is such a, a poetic way to describe the horror experience, I think. It's such a personal thing for every person. Like I know some people who don't really like the storyline as much as something like, I don't know, Outlast or whatever their favorite horror game could be. It is such a personal experience. Like, what makes you afraid? You know, what are you scared of? And every single person has their own traumas, their own backstories that maybe some people don't resonate as much with the story. Um, I feel like in recent years, maybe just because it is such an old game at this point and the remaster didn't really do it justice bringing it to that new no. audience the way it wanted to. It almost feels like kind of a lost story. I mean, unless you're in the know or you are seeking out, you know, horror video game content, you wouldn't really know about, I mean, other than the recent movies again, but that was yeah. bringing sort of like this bastardized version of the franchise back into the public view. Whereas Silent Hill 2, it's, it, it almost feels like a, this forgotten in another poetic way. Like <laughs> the town itself is forgotten and the game is like almost becoming forgotten now, especially with how hard it is to find it. It's, it's hard to even experience that firsthand these days. So that yeah. kind of adds to that weird mystic element of the game these days. Because it's on PS2, it was originally made for the PS2, and that's not a games console that is particularly common. And um, it, they did remaster it, and uh, that didn't go so Ugh. well. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's really a shame that a lot of people, they're... When a lot of people, when I mention Silent Hill to a lot of people, their their first thought is they go to the movie. Right, and right. I don't hate the movie. I'm not in love with it. it. I just, I don't think of it as Silent Hill. I would no. rather it was just a standalone movie. I respect a lot of the choices in the movie, like how there's like the female lead and um, it's all the main cast, apart from they shove Sean Bean in to that movie because they needed a male in it. That is such a gripe that I have with that movie. I was such a sucker for seeing a mostly female cast and mm -hmm. hearing you know that 
familiar soundtrack from the games. It's it, it sucks you in, and then yeah. the producers shoving in those male-dominated scenes about the investigation of Alessa. That movie could have been better, and it's not the worst. Um, whereas the sequel, you know, ugh, oh, even worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I haven't. I think I watched um, Silent Hill Revelations once because Silent Hill Revelations was kind of marketed as like a Silent Hill 3 movie. The way that they try to shove Pyramid Head into everything, it makes my skin crawl. Just in knowing the specificity of those monsters to James's story and James's subconscious. I was really happy when we messaged um, about that because that is something I really do want to get into. Right. Is, um, Pyramid Head as a horror icon and should he be? Should he actually be? Because I, I always see him like, in a way, he's like this Michael Myers or Freddy Krueger kind of figure. Right. And I don't know if he, I saw like a real snob, but I don't know if he should be. Like, <laughs> it, it's so strange, the, the going back to the game itself becoming this almost form of lost media at this point, whereas one of its main antagonists, Pyramid Head, you know, he's become this like this icon within the franchise. Mm. Does it make sense in whatever other stories outside of Silent Hill 2? Like, no. I mean, he's cool looking, but I don't really know if he should be accredited as this like massive slasher of the the horror franchise because his true intentions aren't even really questioned beyond, whoa, this guy's scary looking he's like big and buff with a big sword that's cool like all right but there's so much more to him like in his original format there's so much more to him he's become like a mascot almost yeah it's like party city like (laughs) so weird such a weird thing would be because the storyline of silent hill 2 is so compelling Mm -hmm. and so interesting like i hadn't really seen um, when I was first exposed to that, I was a bit younger, and I hadn't seen stories like that, like weird, mind-bending, surrealist horror just yet. Um, it, and it really did kind of blow my mind. I hadn't really mm. been watching, you know, now that I'm older, I've seen other thrillers and films similar or that have even given inspiration to Silent Hill, like Jacob's mm-hmm. Ladder, you know, um, all those 90s thrillers, like weird yeah. Fight Club and Seven, just everything Brad Pitt's in, you know, something that's like (laughs) (laughs) surrealism and Brad Pitt. That's kind of a mark of that era. But that story even just transcends time. You don't really know what era it is. You don't really know what day or month it is. You're just lost in this city with all of Mm -hmm. these tormented people. Just, you know, a lot of the game, you are alone. But Silent Hill 2 gives you this insight into other characters and their struggles. The fact that they're also going through their own unique... You only get a taste of it. And you only Mm -hmm. get hints to what they're going through with Angela. And especially with Eddie, that male aggression that he brings into the story, opposing Mm -hmm. James's own, you know, recollection of what he's done and what he's going through to deserve to be there. I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, not having it spoon-fed to you. Barely getting a sense of what might have happened to these people that led them there. And so much of this game, like you said, it's not spoon-fed to you. So so much mm-hmm. of it is given through symbolism and right. metaphor. Right. You know, I mean, we're given we're given a basic storyline. For anyone who hasn't played it, um, Silent Hill 2 follows James Sunderland, who is like a lonely, everyman kind of guy. And he he's a widower. Uh, he receives a letter from his wife, Mary, telling him to come to Silent Hill. But the problem is that Mary's been dead for what he thinks is quite some time. And we follow James through four, I don't want to say levels, because it's not its not like a traditional game where you're like level one, level two. But there are four main places that he visits, the apartments, the hospital, the prison, and uh, the hotel. In between, he kind of navigates through the foggy streets of Silent Hill with Maria, who is a very interesting character. And um, Maria is this woman who looks exactly like his wife, Mary, but she's sexy and uh, sultry. She's very seductive. You know, she's got the short skirt and the crop top. And there are other characters as well, like you mentioned, Angela and Eddie and Laura, who is the little girl who 
is very <laughs> irritating. Just in the worst possible place for a kid to be. <laughs> that yeah. always freaked me out too, just seeing a kid there. Ugh. Yeah, and she so um, she doesn't seem to notice there's anything wrong with it, which brings us, um, as we'll get into a bit later, this this idea that Silent Hill is everyone's different hell in a way. Right. Um, because Laura's an innocent. She's never done anything. She just thinks it's a big, empty playground at this point. Yeah, and she's playing at some point. You know, James goes into the hospital and she's in this, like, disgusting, rusty, <laughs> dank room and she's just, like, chilling in there with her little teddy bears. Jesse, what was your first experience with Silent Hill 2? I'm interested to know, like, how did you get into it? How old were you? Kind of thing like that. Right. So my own experience to Silent Hill was, again, through those movies because I was a kid in the 2000s and that was you know, the big scary trailer that would play in between Simpsons on TV, <laughs> like <laughs> things that would stick with you, the, just these imageries, yeah. of, of, you know, these images of the nurses and Pyramid Head and, and not knowing, you know, of course, what any of that was. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I realized that there was all of these old games, you know, and I had remember seeing, um, you know, Silent Hill arcade games before at like our oh, local yeah. arcades. I just fell in love with this whole franchise. I mean, not the whole franchise, as we know, but some of the later (laughs) games are a bit iffy, but uh, especially Mm -hmm. the first three. And I really enjoyed the aesthetic, you know, the fog. I just, I thought these games were really a lot different from other early horror games like Resident Evil, which were very based around, you know, action and impact. It didn't have as much of that psychological effect. Right, right. Silent Hill, where it did have a lot of jump scares and things, it brought you along just this, like, descent into madness, and especially the second one, because it has, like, nothing to do with the rest of the franchise. Just this one-off horrific story of this man coping with the loss of his wife. Just the idea of that, and especially as, like, a, what, a 13-year-old kid just getting into horror more seriously. Very dark place to start. <laughs> exactly. That was mind-blowing. And yeah. ever since then, it just, I fell deeper into this infatuation with the series. Yeah, I love what you said kind of about the history of Silent Hill, mm-hmm. like, the game franchise, that Silent Hill 1 um, was kind of had the, all this focus on the cult and... Right. Uh, like the underground drug trafficking scene after the success of silent hill one they kind of um set up the sequel and then i love that team silent who for anyone who doesn't know quick sidetrack team silent was kind of a mishmash of konami employees who had failed on other projects and they were kind of um like pushed to the side by konami who thought silent hill was going to be a bus and this team uh, of game designers, um, artists, um, Akira Yamaoka, who did the sound design. They came together and created something as horrible as Silent Hill. <laughs> and then the sequel is just so ballsy that they're just like, no, we're just going to do a completely standalone story and it's going to have nothing to do with Silent Hill 1. Even though, you know, it's set in the same place and it does kind of make allusions to some of the areas, you know, the hospital is included in the first game as well. But I just I just love the idea of this group of outsiders that took their their frustration at being ignored by their work or a big company like Konami. I just love that they turned it into something like Silent Hill. Now, it's a game that you can tell comes from very dark places. For some people, it's too much. I've I've played it. I will I've recommended it to a couple of people over my horror career and um, (laughs) a couple of people have said that they they couldn't handle it um because it's it's a very oppressive game and like you said it's not really like resident evil in a way that um it's like it's constant onslaught right for me like the scarier parts of silent hill 2 are the parts where nothing is happening oh absolutely yeah it's this constant sense of dread Right. And it never lets up. There's no single moment in the game that you kind of let your guard down and relax. That's how James must feel. Absolutely. Yeah. Just getting closer to, you know, the answers that he's seeking, falling further into his own madness, yeah. so to speak. It's, it's it's very oppressive, especially those long moments between any dialogue. You know, there's parts where the music cuts out completely. All you're hearing is, you know, atmospheric sounds and footsteps you know, your, your own footsteps, that feeling of not only like what's going to come around the corner, it's what is your own mind going to, what is it going to reflect in these 
things attacking you next because everything is so personal when you break down the story to James specifically. That's almost scarier. And I'm, you know, Angela is seeing her own fears in the form of her father. Eddie is seeing, you know, people that used to torment him or, you know, alluding to that. And there's just so many questions of the reality of the situation for each and every single person that's in the town. And yeah. Even in that, one of the main characters that James is with for a lot of the story, Maria, seems very real. And also at the same time, there's instances where she's killed, where she Mm -hmm. respawns basically back into the story. Very strange sort of, you know, circumstances between one of the main characters who is alluding to all of these things that James can't remember, Mm -hmm. even just pointing out that he's very forgetful sometimes, which is super ominous, you know. There's this sense of um, throughout the game, as a player, you start to doubt your own sanity as well. Because like you said, after Maria, so Maria gets killed three times throughout the game. Then she, she, like you said, respawns like, and she's like, what? And James is like, oh, you were killed. And she's like, (laughs) um, no, I wasn't. And then you start to doubt as a player. There's something about controlling this character of James, being a game and being so involved. You feel like you are him. The blankness of his personality as well is so good to project yourself onto him. You start to doubt your own sanity when you're watching it. There are so many instances in this game where you hear things and you're like, oh, crap, did I just hear that? Was that in the game or was that, like, outside? Right. <laughs> Sometimes James will go into a room and someone will start whispering or or there'll be, like, a random scream from outside in the game and you're and it never happens again. And you're like, oh, God, was that in the game? Was that part of the game? What Have I done something to trigger that? This thing where you start to doubt yourself and doubt your sanity as you start to figure out that James has completely lost his sanity pretty much. Right, right. The the unreliable narrator. One of my favorite tropes. Everything in it feels uncomfortable. It feels uncanny. I see this game, this game gets a lot of flack for the movement of the characters and things like James's um, combat style. Right. Like, he takes ages to do, I don't know what they call it, like a combat warm-up motion. And then when he does hit an enemy, he misses half the time. You know, he's awkward. He can't move around properly. Sometimes you're controlling it and you're like, oh my God, just go over there. And he just won't do it right. For me, I don't know if I'm making excuses for bad design or whatever, but for me, that adds to it. Because if James was this perfect video game character who, you know, who could jump over everything, was super fast and super good at killing everyone... It wouldn't be as scary as the fact that he is just an everyday guy. And he's he's you. He's the player. He's vulnerable. He's so vulnerable. There are times when there are enemies you can't even kill. I'm thinking um, when you get locked in the apartment, in the apartment stairwell, there's just that horrible scene where James opens the door and Pyramid Head is like... That, that first encounter. Yeah, that first yeah. encounter. Um, you don't even end up winning that battle. He just yeah walks. He just goes the, away. You know, walks down into the waters. Like yeah. <laughs> then that's the thing. You just have to wait him out. And mm-hmm. I I think for anyone playing the game first, I remember when I played it first, I was like, oh my god, he's not dying. He's not dying. And you just have to run away from him until on his you know it's on his terms when the fight is over it's not when James says it's over it's when Pyramid Head says it's over and there are some other instances like that throughout where you just get thrown into these horrible situations that make you feel so helpless there's another part in the hotel where um James tries to get in the elevator and he's too heavy and he has to leave all of his stuff behind you have to leave your weapons your flashlight your medicine and you have to go into the the depths of this dark hotel basement with nothing to protect you and that is just horrible the fact that they humanize him so much you know with the mistakes and the, the clunky combats, you know, gamers today, I think it's become so fluid with your combat motion. And we've, you know, gotten so used to all of these new controls and whatever. I, I really agree that it adds to that feeling of helplessness. You know, you are, if you yourself as the human you are, you know, not every person is going to be this bodybuilding combat wizard like Mm -hmm. you know not everybody is like that if you're just the average person and you were thrown into a situation like this you know atoning for 
whatever sins you've committed, whatever traumas that you're harboring, things that are eating away at you. If you were just the regular average Joe, mm-hmm. that's probably how you would react to these things in a realistic setting. You wouldn't make every hit, you know, you'd probably be in shock half of the time, just everything yeah. that you're seeing, all of the decay and disgusting mutated monsters around you i i wouldn't even be able to function there are also times when james acts completely insane and things like i don't know he just puts his hand in like random dark holes and i know he has to Ugh. for gameplay purposes but no. you're playing it and you're just like <laughs> oh my god james this you, he just like shoves his hand into this filthy clogged toilet one of my favorite parts is in the hospital where you have to fish a key out of a drain right and you know you're in a hospital could you not find some long thin instrument to like get something out but no James has to make a fishing line out of hair human hair and a bit of wire that he like makes into a hook and it's just things like that that again it's like this unnatural unhuman behavior that you just wouldn't expect a human in this situation to do and it just it hits home that you're like yeah James is not a normal guy Going further with that inhumane energy that's just throughout this game is the other humans that you do meet, you know, even Maria becomes strangely hostile at times. Um, Angela makes you feel like you're the monster. Uh, Eddie is completely just terrifying, in my opinion. <laughs> like, Yeah, Eddie's horrible. He just, and Laura obviously is kind of a little shit too. Everybody you meet is just, you're seeing humans around you, but they almost feel just as bad as these other monsters there. It's so isolating. It's just this terrifying story. And you want to help, you know, you see James trying to help Angela, trying to see what's going on with Eddie and trying to help this little girl, Laura, from running around (laughs) the depths of hell just freely with no adult supervision. Yeah. And you just feel so helpless in it, you know. It's there's no arrows pointing to you your your next objective, you know. Oh, do this and you're going to get a level up. It it feels so desolate. There's no reward. There's no, no reward in this game <laughs> no. whatsoever. There's there's nothing joyful No, about nothing. It. No. And you know, even when I guess in in that situation, if you were in Silent Hill, if you saw a human being, you'd be like, oh, thank God, a a human being, I can can understand this person, I can talk to them. But then the way that they speak, like you said, they're so hostile to him. The way that Angela specifically interacts with him is so unnatural. I mean, Angela obviously is a character suffering from massive trauma at the hands of her father. She was um, abused and it's implied that she killed him in self-defense. But even just like the way, the way that she interacts, the way that she holds herself at various times, she, she confuses James for her mother, but it's just things like that that make you think like even the very basic support of a human to human connection is missing from this town. There's just nothing for James here. There's no support. Everything is designed at every corner to punish him and push him further into this realization that he is in Silent Hill for killing his wife, which we find out. I want to ask you this, actually. So the first, your first experience with Silent Hill, obviously is a massive spoiler for anyone who hasn't played yes. or watched any of the gameplay. Yes, huge um, spoiler. Yeah, we find out at the end that James Sunderland actually killed his wife about a week before um, the game starts. And Mary has been ill with an, unna- an unnamed disease for the last three years. She's been very sick in hospital. And James has kind of had three years to deal with, you know, these feelings of sickness, watching his wife disintegrate, watching his wife suffer. Um, a lot of things with sexual frustration come up, as we see in the monsters, which I definitely want to get into a bit later. Yes. But, yeah, <laughs> did you did you see it coming? Did you see the twist coming that James killed her? Like, at what point did it click for you? I, I'm pretty sure it just hit out of nowhere. I don't think I had any inklings that he did it. Um, but, you know, going back and watching it again, you can kind of see, okay, yeah, there's some like things here, especially when you're analyzing the, the monsters themselves, a reflection of his own guilt and what he did to her. Yeah, I, I really, I did not see it coming. I was completely just 
taken aback by that. I was in shock just seeing him, you know, holding his head in his hands in the, the hotel room after he watches that tape. And I felt that with him, you know, that realization of what yeah. he had done that was so horrible it's like a pit in your stomach yeah. yes absolutely it, it, the fact that you can empathize with him in a way because there was a part of him that wanted to help end her suffering but it was coming from very selfish places within himself you kind of um i think for me the hospital i kind of started to figure out something was not right and then i think it was the prison where things started to click especially with the there's a lot of imagery of executioners and being hanged men and you know prison obviously is a place where people go to serve punishment and then there is one point I'm having trouble placing it but there is one point where James comes across he comes across a lot of graffiti in the town which seems well it does it directly addresses him there's one point where he comes across some graffiti that says if you really want to see Mary you should just die James but you might end up going to a different place than she does or so- something like that mm-hmm. and i think at that point i was like oh this is not a good guy right. i mean James is not someone we're I don't even know if we're supposed to root for him because I (laughs) don't really. No, no. He's not a particularly sympathetic character. Not exactly. I feel like the human response is to want to empathize with all of these characters. Mm. Even to some extent, um, like someone horrible like Eddie, you almost Mm -hmm. just kind of feel bad for him, the torment that he's undergone that pushed him to the edge, you know, making him into this monster. But it's never fully where you're, like, humanizing them. Angela, yes, you feel bad for her. But again, the way she acts is just so unsettling. You never fully empathize with anyone here. There's a disconnect, yeah. Exactly. You can't can't fully end up... Even, you know, even the way that James acts, you're like, half the time I'm I'm annoyed at him. Half the time I don't have any feeling for him because he's so blank. And then towards the end, I kind of of hate the guy. But I still... As he's a reflection of the viewer, because or the player, you're forced you're forced to be him in the situation, so you do have to defend him in a way. But yeah, when you do find out at the end that he did kill um, Mary, and this is why he's suffering, I do kind of warm up to him at the end when he, especially when he fights the last two pyramid heads at the end, and he says, um, "I needed you to punish me," and he kind of realizes what he's done, right? And he can finally. We as players as and viewers as well, we can finally get some closure um, at the end is when we see Mary or Maria's final form, depending on what ending you get. So he's not the greatest character in the world. And I think he's not the most sympathetic character. And a lot of that comes from, I think, the influences. I mean, it has a lot of David Lynch influences. And, you know, right. as we're both big Lynch fans, yeah. Lynch is also <laughs> a person... <laughs> He's a direct. I think I've spoken about David Lynch on every episode so far. Um, as you Lynch should. Is, as right. you should, yeah. <laughs> Lynch is a director who creates these characters who are flawed and uncomfortable to watch, uncanny in their movement and speed. And you see that a lot in Silent Hill 2. There's also, and I haven't, I haven't read this, but apparently the, the main story of Silent Hill 2 is based on Crime and Punishment by uh, Dostoevsky, which I haven't read. That's kind of obvious in its name. There are influences from you know art- artists like Francis Bacon and Hans Belmer who take this, this form of the human and warp it into something so terrifying. Yes. And I think that's a great thing to think about when you're playing or watching Silent Hill is there is this warped humanity that runs throughout it. Even the monsters. um, Oh, oh, yeah. Just the way that their bodies are warped, the surrealism of it all, it definitely gives me a lot of, you know, backflashes to Lynchian content, Mm -hmm. especially things like Twin Peaks, um, Lost Highway. The storyline is actually very similar in a way. There's a lot of doppelganger. Right. um, And there's a lot of specifically something I found interesting is it's kind of doppelganger as male fantasy, which is something I've been thinking a lot recently. Um, You know, in Twin Peaks, we see Maddie, who is Laura's cousin. Right. She looks just like Laura, but she's 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 this male fantasy of Laura. She's this more submissive, more quiet kind of sweeter version of Laura Laura. was yeah 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 you know and James gets obsessed with her and um obviously Leland 
ends up killing her because she reminds him of his daughter, Laura. Exactly. Um, more recently, I've seen it in, I don't know, if, have you seen Cam? Cam, yes. The uh, the doppelganger. Yeah, yeah. Cam, Cam girl, yes. Yeah. That also came to mind, definitely. She has a doppelganger in that, and that doppelganger mm-hmm. is kind of, um, goes further with the things that she's willing to do on camera to... Right please the men that are watching her so and then you get maria who is obviously james's fantasy of what mary quote unquote should have been like right sexy hot seductive um not this this sick woman this burden that he sees her as god forbid he thinks about how it's affecting his wife but you know all we focus on here in this story is how it's affecting him and Mm -hmm. his own struggles you know that's reflected through his coveting or possibly even having had an affair with one of Mm. her nurses that's one of the uh right right again we get so many questions rather than answers but Mm -hmm. i really like the open-ended you know cosmic horror of it all I really like yeah. that surrealist, is it a dream? Is it reality? Are these narrators even reliable? You know, mm. I, I love stories like that. And the fact that this one just in- is encapsulated so well in such a haunting environment and, you know, with the soundtrack, with the voice acting, which, you know, some people have a lot of things to say, but I personally <laughs> really enjoyed it. I, even the weird parts, but that's it, it, again. It reminds me of things like Twin Peak, where just it Twin adds Peaks. to the experience, <laughs> right? Where in like the first episode, you see this family just eating baguettes, like full. Just, <laughs> like I remember watching that the first time and just being so confused. Like we just ben saw Horn this, gang. right? We just saw this like murder victim, and now it's like, oh, look at these baguettes I just brought back from France. Yeah. They're delicious. You gotta try it. Like okay. <laughs> so weird yeah that scene kind of reminds me almost of when james is in the elevator and it starts to play that like game show host oh my god i love you know I they're love like that part oh what what happened to this person oh yeah he, he was bludgeoned to death by his father you know horrible yeah. just weird and in that like game show voice with the like laugh track behind it just this whole artificial feeling as you're stuck in this elevator Mm -hmm. like nonsensical and you can't leave as well no you can't leave you can't even actually play the game like it's not a mini game or anything Mm -hmm. you're just hearing this uncanny voiceover maria at the end of it she just goes what was that like she (laughs) she also has that idea i love maria that she you know we were saying that earlier there's there's nothing there's no lightheartedness in this game at all but maria does sometimes bring a little a little comedic relief into it Um, very very slight yeah she she's a character who when maria's on screen you're like okay we're either getting she's gonna come on to james or she's gonna make him laugh or she's gonna say something weird and um it's a real treat to watch maria especially in a game where the female characters in this game are so interesting to look at from uh like archetype point of views because obviously there's like the virgin whore dynamic yes um in that james saw mary as this pure being that he possibly towards the end she obviously obviously didn't really want to have sex with him because she was dying and <laughs> yeah. I mean, also who would with james suddenly he's kind of a weird guy um yeah, but the vibes he, are not not, <laughs> not there. they're not immaculate they're all. not they're not and you get maria who is very sexually charged you know like we spoke about earlier she's got the the crop top she's got the leopard print skirt and i just looked down and i'm literally wearing a leopard print skirt today as well so <gasps> i love that but also sex in this game there is so much sex grotesque sex Mm -hmm. in this game well mostly with the monster design Mm -hmm. they are so obscene and the the it's just a representation of the way james has his sexual frustration has moved into him like seeing sex and disease as like these two intertwined things basically right Right. this perverse idea and you know, loss of bodily autonomy and body horror, fear of sexes or sexual fears in general, you know, that I feel like that affects everybody. Like invasions or, you know, 
your body morphing, just weird Freudian fears that live very, very deep in the subconscious that this game loves to press buttons on. And I love, I love movies like that. I've always loved very sexually charged psychological horror. It's very Cronenberg-esque in that, in that way. Yeah, especially Videodrome. The, the sexuality in that movie, the it just feels so perverse and unnatural. Like it shouldn't be there. Because it's it's sex, but it's disgusting. You know, there's like absolutely these nurses. The like the way obviously the bubblehead nurses um, have been another point that I'm not in love with. They they get right. used in <laughs> in other games as like with the, these giant heaving boobs, which they should have because they're James's representation of his sexual psyche. But um, I don't necessarily know if they're needed in the other games, but no. whatever. <laughs> not um, really, but, but, you know. Yeah, like the way they collapse after he kills him, like they collapse with like their legs spread way apart. The The mannequins, they're just two bottom halves of a body that has a vagina. Like it's made of two legs and two legs on the top. Even Pyramid Head, he, he's he got this giant phallic knife that he drags around everywhere and he just <laughs> shoves it into women. The first time we see Pyramid Head, he's, he's well, it's implied that he's raping or doing something to these two, two mannequins. So it's just, yeah, just sex is all the way through this game and it's not in any way enjoyable whatsoever. No, especially with the character design of Angela's father, that mutated you know, it almost looks like two moving bodies stuck mm-hmm. to this bed. And that is the creature. Like, that's the creature. It's it's so disgusting. And the room that she's trapped in with these, like, orifices in the wall, just her huddled in the corner crying. And it's, it is implied that she killed him. And the fact that she has to go through this again in Silent Hill with this horrible mutated version of the traumas that she's endured through her life. It's just, there's something in this game that I feel like could scare everybody. I, I don't think I've come across anyone who hasn't, who hasn't been affected in some way by Silent Hill 2. It really doesn't let up, like, <laughs> from that first <laughs> moment. I mean, and I do love Maria. Like you said, she does offer a little bit of relief sometimes or kind of a reflection of what the viewer is thinking, you know, when she's asking, oh, what is that? Or why did you leave me? Like, yeah, I mean, why would you leave, like, your partner behind? I mean, I guess she's, like, sustained a lot of strange injuries along the way. She, that is one escort mission that is pretty rough but oh um, god it's a nightmare because she doesn't move no she's so annoying (laughs) she's so annoying just yeah lagging behind you it's frustrating but it adds to that feeling of hopelessness again you know of yeah humanity almost but still so unnatural like the way that she just comes back you're wondering if she's even a human or not or if she's just another monster you know that's a really interesting thing to think about because I I do think that, I mean, depending on what ending you get, Maria or Mary will change into this grotesque, caged monster at the end. But I I definitely think she's she is a monster. And, you know, she has the same function as the rest of them. She's designed, well, I was going to say that. And then I, I remembered um, Born from a Wish. Yes. Which... Um, is the kind of mini prequel game that was released with... I've seen it accredited as being released in 2001, so it might also be something that came along with that first uh, you know, release of the game. But seeing it from her perspective, where she's being told by this mysterious agoraphobic man you know, behind a door that someone's coming, that... His name is James and that he's dangerous, that you need to find him and stop him, you know, all these weird, ominous things. And she finally opens the door and there's nobody there. Nothing there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, again, you're you're left thinking, you know, is this a reliable narrator? Is this her version of hell? Is she really, you know, Mary somehow some weird, twisted, you know, is she like, Mary's twin you you don't get any answers from this and if anything born from a wish you know putting Maria into the spotlight of being the playable character 
kind of confuses you further. Like it really is does any because of it real? <laughs> yeah, because if Maria is a manifestation of James's psyche, why does she exist before him? Or like, mm-hmm. or, but not before him, but, but why does she exist before he comes to the town? Right. Why does she seem to have her own autonomy? She questions her own existence and. You know, at the end of Born From a Wish, she considers killing herself and she decides not to. She decides to go and meet up with James. So, yeah, is she is she pulled to do that by her existence as part of him or does she choose to do that from her own autonomy? It's just really interesting thing to think about. And, uh, you know, Silent Hill hasn't done a lot of good things since their release, but Born From A Wish is um, really good. I really like it just as a little a little side story, a little um, extra game to play. Right. It's right. really nice to get to get more from Maria. Definitely. Also, when she's when she's um, on that escort mission, she is so useless. She has no weapon. She doesn't even. She never stands up for herself. She lets these monsters like she doesn't even push them away. No. And it's like I think that's kind of what James thinks about women. Obviously, mm-hmm. James has zero respect for women. Um, well, or Mary at least he has zero respect for his wife. Right. Right. He sees women as these sexual objects because of his sexual frustration you know the nurses are a representation of the nurses that he saw in the in the hospital and they you know their sexy outfits are kind of a warped fetishization of that it's yeah it's so nice to see maria go from this useless fantasy that james uh james made her up as to having some autonomy and you know she's got a gun in born from a wish she can she can fight enemies so it's 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 really nice to see that i just like maria a lot oh She's definitely my favorite character in the game. Um, you know, even at times if she is a bit, you know, a bit much, a, a little hostile, a little extreme and, you know, frustrating in the way that she is such a flawed character, not, you know, getting up and fighting back, choosing to just, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to take a nap here. It's okay. On that and then gross she's bed. Dead. Yeah, on this disgusting, like, <laughs> decrepit hospital beds. Like, I, I would never even... I would sleep on the floor probably yeah. before I slept on that. Like, just she doesn't even think about the bed bugs or anything. And she's like, mmm, so comfy. Yeah, like, she wants like, James to join. I'm like, oh, <laughs> come on. He's not that hot. Like, just th- that is such a strange thing to think of where she does have that storyline of her own. Mm-hmm. You know, does she know that she's a part of James's quest? Does she exist in her own autonomy? Mm-hmm. Does she exist outside of his manifestation of, you know, what he wanted his wife to be? It, it, there's just so many unanswered questions. And I think it really benefits from that, from not... Oh, definitely, yeah. You know, even like something like having a sequel. Like, I, I don't know. I don't really want to... I don't want to know more. I like... I would never know. No, no. I like knowing or I like thinking in my head like these horrible atrocities that yeah. could have happened. I like having the ability to think up you know in my head maybe these other theories or Mm -hmm. what certain meanings or inspirations I don't want it you know spelled out to me no me neither and Silent Hill 2 is a game that allows you to do that it Mm -hmm. everything in it is so ripe with symbolism and and even like let's talk about the endings quickly so there are four like quote unquote serious endings there's (laughs) an ending where james leaves with laura Mm -hmm. he adopts laura that's kind of the The you know people the happy ending yeah there's in water which is when james drives his car into the lake and kills himself then there's rebirth where james has collected if james collects these items throughout the game it's kind of he can make this kind of like this occultish alchemist potion to bring maria back and then so the fourth one is james leaves with maria who coughs as she leaves she kind of gives a cough like a sickly kind of hinting that she's got the same disease that mary had or she's going to end up with the same disease that mary had so even these endings apart from in water where james dies even these endings are so open-ended would leave you with more questions right right you know if he leaves with laura where do they go are they do they just go back to the normal world like 
can you go back to normal world or are they dead together? Does he, if he gets rebirth, does he succeed in bringing Mary back? If he leaves with Maria, does she get sick? Does she die? Does he just end up repeating the whole cycle again? It's just so, so interesting to think about. And and I wouldn't want to see any of those. I mean, yes, it'd be interesting to see how it played out, but it, it's better just to have it left unsaid, to have those questions that in itself is almost like your own little choose your own adventure story in your head where you can, you know, kind of. And it really think is like that because mm-hmm. the actions that you take over the course of the game influence the ending. I know that's kind of a lot of games do that now, but like I said before, I'm not really a gamer. So when I found that out, I was like, there's more. The first time I played it, I think I got, uh, I think I got leave, which I think most people get on their first try. And then I found out you can do things to change the ending. That just blew my mind. So you can, um, you can, the more you look at things like Mary's letter, um, her photo, Angela's knife, if you examine these things in their inventory you'll get a different ending, making sure Maria doesn't get hurt while she's following you, um, how many enemies you kill, how much damage you take, all these things influence the ending that you get directly. I just love that. Like I said, I'm sure that's not a new thing in in games by any right. means, I don't know. But I, yeah, I just I just love that because it is, it is a game about coming to terms with the choices you've made. And right, right. And the fact that they, they, they bring that into a real world mm-hmm. setting almost and kind of put you into James' shoes, you know, <laughs> James's shoes again. Um, yeah. Yeah, it just, it, it, it's such a unique experience. I'm still searching for anything in my life, film, game, or otherwise, I'm still searching for something that will make me feel the same way I felt and the same way I still feel to this day when I think about when I play or when I watch Silent Hill 2. And I, I haven't found anything yet. I wholeheartedly agree with that completely. There is nothing that has, you know, drawn out the same perfect way for me. And I've seen so many movies that have affected me, but nothing quite as deep or as personally as Silent Hill 2 did. It's a game that is every part of it was meticulously designed to cut to your core. And you don't see that with Silent Hill now. You, no. I mean, I don't, oh when God. was the last one they made? I mean, I stopped playing. I've played four once. I've played The Room once. What, two and three are the main ones that I've played. I've played one a few times. Four I've played once. And then after that, I think I played Downpour. Yeah, there was a few. There was um, Downpour. Homecoming. Uh, Homecoming. That was one of them, wasn't it? Shattered Memories was one of them. Yeah. I don't know. There was like an arcade one, like oh god, yeah. <laughs> just um, awful. I I lived in Japan for two years, a f- uh, couple of years back, and that you would see like the pachinko machines. Pachinko which, machines. Oh right. my god, it's so sad. And you know, fuck Konami. I'll I'll yep. say that loud and yep. proud. Konami, if you're listening, fuck you, because yep. you had this amazing team of uh, designers and. The, the the worst thing about it is they sold they sold it out to um no offense to to an american to to want it to be big in america um and that that, that it's it loses so much of its soul as anything does when you change its core to sell exactly exactly no i'm still just devastated about the whole pt debacle oh! um that oh! that game that trailer you know the the playable trailer as it is you know pt stands for that was um pretty close to i I think that might have been a bit scarier of an experience for me than silent hill 2 but that one also it, it left a big imprint on me and i think if we had seen that game come to fruition especially with people like junji ito behind the art direction it could have been incredible you had there was a dream to, there was so there was Kojima there was um, Masahiro Ito who did the character design for Saiho 2 yes there was Junji Ito there was Guillermo del Toro yes um, just this obscenely talented group of designers um, creatives these people with these horrific visions 
and oh, Konami were like, no, we don't want that. And it's it's such a shame. I haven't played Death Stranding, but I know that Kojima took a lot of the stuff from PT and put it into Death Stranding. I haven't right. played it. I've watched other people play it only because I just don't think I can commit yeah, to I it. Just, I don't really <laughs> care as much if it's not horror. I mean, there are plenty of things that I love that are non-horror, but if it's going to hit deep like that, it's got to be fucking scary. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's and even that scary. playable trailer, I mean... Konami even took that off the stores. Like, why? Just leave it. Like, just leave it. Like, if you're not going to do anything with it, you might as well leave what all of these people enjoyed, what, like, created this huge press frenzy. You might as well just leave it up. I know. I don't understand, because they could have got so much money from it. Exactly. And that's what they care about, (laughs) is money. So I don't don't know. I don't get it. But um, it's just such a shame that people who have the the, the playable trailer like are, are now selling their consoles for thousands because it's got it on there. It's right. such a precious <laughs> thing. And but honestly, I even from watching the playable trailer, I don't know if I could have handled it. I truly oh, no. don't. Know. <laughs> the fact that there were parts that like used your actual like headphones, your actual microphone, and like listened to you had to like say phrases like something about that just feels creepy like demonic scary but I love it and I definitely I'm so horrible with like actually playing horror games which is really funny I couldn't play it no way it's it's barely play Silent Hill (laughs) 2 no exactly it's 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 one thing being an audience member to these things but it's another playing it and you know in a medium like video games that are so personal and you get so sucked into it because you are the one controlling every single movement. That's something I wish that could have been expanded on. Mm-hmm. There were a brief few months when the, the, the I hate to say fandom, but the Silent Hill fandom right. <laughs> were so so excited because you know it's been like right. it, the Silent Hills. Yeah, we we've the Silent Hill fandom. We've had a tough time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after four, after the room was kind of really the last good game, right? And, and then it's just a a continual cycle of disappointment and just shitty games. And oh, look, we want to be Resident Evil now. And then to have PT come out and be like, "This is a game that these people are masters of their craft." They do not care about making you feel comfortable in this game at no, all. Absolutely not. <laughs> they want <laughs> you to want to die, basically. Oh yeah, yeah. And I remember I read somewhere that someone, someone much smarter than me, detailed how they had looked in the code of PT or something, and basically the ghost, um, what's her name, Lisa. Yes, Lisa. who is the the main female ghost? She's actually behind you the whole time. She <laughs> follows you around. <laughs> I just oh, that just makes me want to cry. I, I actually looked into. I think his pages. Uh, she says on YouTube, he did a boundary break video for PT. Where he, that's what it's called, boundary break. Right, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I think that is the same. That's the same video we're talking about. Yeah, she's like outside the window yeah. and the shadows being generated. It's not just random shadows. Like, no, that's that's the the game's light, like playing yeah. off of the like the NPC that's, that's evil. behind you. Oh, <laughs> Pure it's, evil. It's so it, it's so just intense. I wish that that could have been brought, you know, to the spotlight, but no. you know, we can't have everything. We can't, and we <laughs> do have we have Silent Hill two for right, now, and. Right. Silent Hill 2 is a game that every time you play it or watch it again, there is something new to discover. Even just like I was saying, I watched, um, I was watching a Let's Play of it last night just to refresh myself. And th- I noticed, um, which I, I, I don't even remember when I played it. Ba- basically, when James goes into the prison, he enters one of the cells. And when he tries to leave the cell, the door won't open. And you have to you have to um, in game push it a few times before it will open, and just small things like that, like yeah. just designed to fuck with you, like intentionally, just to make you feel right. like oh my god, oh my god, I'm trapped, I'm trapped. I, I think it's something that everyone should experience, yeah. and if you can't play it, at least watching through one of the many uh, 
commentary free gameplays on YouTube. Yes, that's very important. Right. That's very important. If if listeners, if you haven't played Silent Hill 2 and it's very it's difficult to play to find it. It is. We it is. we are recommending you find a good quality commentary free that is so important because you don't need some asshole going like oh my god that's so scary <laughs> every three seconds like you just don't need that um it's a game that requires your full immersion so lights off good headphones on if you've got them it, it's such a beautiful just experience uh yeah maybe n- the wrong word to use for it but um if you like really scary and disturbing stuff like we do then that might be <laughs> the right word to describe this experience when, once you finish reading or playing it, there is so much lore to read up on. So many theories, so many details that you will have missed. You'll be reading up on it and you think, oh my god, yeah, that makes so much sense. And and there's things now that still are mildly, you know, unsolved. Like uh, the red squares or there's like a scene in a graveyard. And there's mm-hmm. like, why is there just a random graveyard in the middle of this, you know, yep. area? Just very strange things uh that do play into the lore of the city a little bit but i do mm-hmm. like that it's it's kind of its own standalone thing it, it's separate from you know the other storylines of the franchise that revolve around the order and you know the cult practices even if you've never played one mm-hmm. you don't need you don't need it like no. i mean if you're going to play three you kind of do need to have played or at least know about one but with two you don't need to have played any of the other games because you, you get a little history of Silent Hill into, but it's not integral. James is what we're focusing on yes. in this game, rather than um, Harry Mason in the first game, who he was just a vehicle for the story. But in Silent Hill 2, James is the story. He is the town. The town exists because James exists. You are thrown into what this town does to, let's say, its victims, the people that are called into it. You're seeing firsthand how he's being affected. The longer he's there, the more that he's losing his mind. You know, the closer that he gets to the realization, mm-hmm. the closer he is to atonement. But also, yeah, he knows what he did now. But is can he ever go back to being a normal human, or was he ever normal? You know, like right. you don't just is get even driven alive? to do these things, right? Is he in purgatory? Is he already in hell? We don't have any answers. Him being in purgatory, is that's one of my favorite theories because he kind of descends throughout the game. He goes through these levels and he kind of, especially in the prison, he's he goes lower and lower and lower. He, right. he keeps jumping through these holes, jumping, jumping, jumping. Then later in the game, we see Angela, who, as we've spoken about a little bit, Angela, well, all the characters have their different way of looking at Silent Hill. And Angela's is like this burning hellfire place and... After James has realized what he did to Mary, he sees it. He sees, or at least he feels it, because he says, oh, it's hot It's hot as hell in here. And Angela says, oh, you see it too? And to me, that's kind of um, the, the moment where James can, he has now finally descended into the fires of hell. Now that he's accepted what he's done, he's ready to atone for his sins. Because at this point, she's also kind of accepted her fate, you know, asking for the knife back, ascending up into the fiery stairs, just accepting that once you're in this town, whether or not you heal properly or, you know, realize what's the reason for you being pulled there, your life is pretty much over. It doesn't really matter if you survive, unless maybe you're Laura, because she didn't really see anything you know from her perspective Mm. at least i don't know if any of them are alive i don't know if laura's alive and laura was sick too i mean she was in the hospital with mary so there's a good chance that she is also dead and Mm -hmm. it could be a very simple concept if you think silent hill the town is hell or purgatory that in itself is quite simple but there are there's just so so much more to it than just that simple storyline i just love it so much Konami, if you're listening, doubtful, but <laughs> can you can you not do anything else and just give us PT, please? Because yep. we would really like that. Yeah. <laughs> Having to play a Silent Hill Pachinko, that's purgatory. Like that, that's, yeah. <laughs> I know. Pyramid Head being a character in Konami Crazy Racers game oh is hell oh. on earth. To the listeners, thank you for sticking through with us. Um, hopefully we didn't spoil 
it for you if it was your first time. If you're able to get your hands on a copy or an emulator, uh, or like we said before, a non-commentary playthrough, Mm -hmm. I highly recommend it. I think you won't regret it. Um, And it's okay if you can't finish it, because some people can't, and it's very intense. Uh, Being exposed to it at such a young age as I was. Probably wasn't the best thing, but um, <laughs> it's become one of my favorite, you know, pieces of horror media ever. So it could be I yours too. I can tell. Too. Yeah, I, it, it's so <laughs> lovely to to talk to someone who's as obsessive and nerdy right? about this. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so honestly, nice. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on the show thank today. I had you a really for good having time. me. This was incredible. Thank you so much for considering me. I'm so honored. No, thank you. And thank you for um, letting me be your first. I, oh, I love that. <laughs> I'm so excited to, to you know, see where this goes. Your show so far has been incredible. And oh, I'm so, so, so excited to be a part of it. Yay. Thank you so much. Thank awesome. You. Everyone, if you're not already, go and follow Jesse on Instagram at softxdeath. And of course, if you're not already following me, follow me on at Hornbloodfire. Jesse, thank you so much again. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. I hope everybody has a wonderful day or night whenever you're listening to this. Yeah, have a great time, everyone. And I will see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.